0: What do you know about Georgia Pritchett's personal life?
2: I don't know much about any of these people, really. Hmm. Maybe that could be our next venture.
0: <laughs> no, you were right. Next move, no succession. Nothing. Not even a whiff of it in the air. How
2: have you been doing these past few days?
0: I feel this gross.
2: Our TV has not been switched on by us. I mean, our, our seven-year-old is looking at it all the time. Yeah, because we've been too busy oh, with the podcast to do sad any parenting. I want to talk
0: about it. First of all, it's not true. <laughs> but you know, I feel like you think you're going to get this adrenaline rush because you're done working, but actually, you just feel empty.
2: Have you done much reading about the finale?
0: No, you know, you, I, I haven't.
2: I've read a few bits and pieces. I think I mentioned the other day my favorite succession-based Twitter account, Meg Succession, text posts wrote a blog. Before the finale, which I thought was just great about fandom,
0: she—that girl is go—is going. We've already sort of sucked her little dick. Sorry, I turned it off. No, you didn't. I I did. Uh, to <laughs> so what
2: was it? A ghost?
0: Yes anyway was
2: it the ghost of logan roy shh.
0: we've already sucked your dick we're doing it again but meg listen where where do you your twitter voice is very strong do you have an agent what are the, what are you talking to them about in terms of your next project value yourself go forward your voice is strong and you're so funny anyway i didn't read her thing because i'll respect to her obviously but you know i'm never reading shit really and also i need to start cleansing myself of succession i can feel it
2: also jude rogers wrote a brilliant thing on her sub stack and i'm not just saying this because she wrote a nice thing about us in the observer but she wrote a piece on the finale called the sense of an ending thoughts on the last moments of succession
0: oh and what did she say can you you
2: need to go and read it she writes up a storm both about the the end of succession and, and about endings more generally it's really i mean she's a great writer so obviously that's going to be good and then i did read i told you about this it, it was doing the rounds on social media the other day, an interview with Matthew McFadden in Variety. The journalist said, Shiv will now be still involved by marriage in the new company and they'll have Lucas Matson in their lives. Have you thought about what that looks like? His reply, I haven't given it any thought is the honest answer. The story has stopped in my head. Journalist says, Oh really? Is that how you do it? He says, Totally. They say, So you don't have any visions of Tom as the American CEO of whatever this new company is? He says, No. I mean, maybe idly, but no, no, it stopped on that last image. That's it in my head. Do you think we need to be taking a leaf out of Matthew McFadden's book?
0: Yeah, probably. It's like a drug. Like Today I tried to listen to a podcast about allergies <laughs> <laughs> because I think I'm really smart about children and allergies. I was like, oh, I bet I'll feel really validated listening to this podcast about like where we're at with our allergies. And it's like, I can't let anything in right now that isn't succession. It's a drug, and I have to detox, and I just need to like go through the pain and the boredom of whatever it is. And then the next thing I know, I'm like, I need the hit. I need the hard stuff. What do I do? Swisher. I'm your Swisher talking to Matson. And I have to tell you something. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. And I realized that actually, if I try and like shake free all my jealousy of someone that I'm not like in close competition with really what people who love succession should do is listen to both podcasts together.
2: What do we bring that Swisher doesn't?
0: Uh, A sense of humor and an understanding of tone. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she's a delight personally. I don't fucking know. And I did, she did this interview with Jeremy Strong and it was, I I really feel to her credit and his, I guess, like I 100% understand who Jeremy Strong is after listening to that.
2: Well, I think we're bringing a good energy to this. I think
0: we are Are you joking? I mean, I mean I know I, that I you're think, joking, but I, what's I think, wrong with I, the think energy? I think
2: we're mirroring what people are feeling, aren't we? The slight <clears throat> deflation. I
0: feel like an addict, a sad addict. I don't know. Um Stuart Heritage, who is was our first guest. You said wrote a really good thing about the finale of Barry, which made me think there could be joy for me and Barry.
2: Yeah, so he Stuart really enjoyed the Succession finale. And said that it was only his third favourite programme of Don't, the week.
0: Are we allowed to even put that information on the pod? Yeah, it's not because, number one boy action, it's number three boy action.
2: Yeah, but he, he's giving us hope, he's giving us something here, he's throwing us a lifeline. So he wrote a rave review about the sketch show on Netflix, I Think You Should Leave, with Tim Robinson, which I haven't seen.
0: I don't know who that
2: is. I remember people talking about the last couple of series. And then the other thing he said is that the Barry finale was fantastic. Now, I always really liked Barry. It got very heavy, but under normal circumstances, I would have been counting the days until that Mm -hmm, came back. mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. just succession pulled all the focus. So we've
0: got a whole series of Barry to watch. Yeah, that's nice. Henry Winkler. Oh, oh, don't forget. (laughs) So growing up from like a young age, my mother would say to me, when you are 18, I will tell you a story about Henry Winkler. She was saying I was eight and she was saying that.
2: (laughs) So for 10 years of your life.
0: Yeah, because I was really into Happy Days as a kid. She'd be like, when? So maybe she'd walk into the room and I'd be watching Happy Days and she'd go, When you turn 18, you know what I bet she would have said? That fucking bitch. She would have gone, for your birthday. It would have been my fucking (laughs) present that year. A jar of pickles for my 16th birthday. I got a pair of earrings and a jar of pickles. There's a photograph of it. That's how I remember it. I can see this picture of myself with this huge jar of pickles, and I can remember the earrings. You think, Sarah, you talk a lot about being from this rich town. Do you think I got a car for my 16th birthday? No. Pickles? (laughs) And earrings, and not like diamond studs, like fucking nothing. How, how
2: common was it for your peers to get cars for their 16th birthday?
0: All of my friends had cars to drive to high school.
2: How many of your friends got pickles for their 16th birthday?
0: Zero. Just me me and my pickles. Oh, anyway, the point is, is it was this thing, when you turn 18, when you turn 18, when you turn 18. So she didn't make it till 18, but probably around 15 or 16. And by this stage, I hate her because I'm 16 or 15 and she's my mother. She goes. Um, Do you want to hear the story about Henry Winkler? Did you say, "Mom, I'm not 18"? Well, I just, I just remember not giving a shit. But she went. Henry Winkler is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> she goes. <laughs>
0: Henry Winkler, tell no one this. (laughs) When I was in college, Mary Beth knew, you know, someone knows Henry Winkler is terrible in bed. (laughs) And she thought it was so interesting that this guy who plays the Fonz is a bad lay. And like she knew someone who knew someone who like fucked him in the 60s. And she really wanted to tell me. (laughs) Because she loves to gossip so much, and I've—it's n- the most boring thing I've ever heard. And I feel bad for Henry Winkler. Like maybe he's not bad in bed, and he had like a shitty night.
2: Yeah, and who—who who is this friend of a friend of your mom's college friend to judge?
0: Yeah, what does she know about anything? Can, can you imagine
2: having a piece of sex information? That you drip th- drip feed throughout <laughs> your child's <laughs> childhood. <laughs> you're teasing it. Just wait, just you wait. When you're 18, I've got oh a sex God. fact for
0: you. That's so weird. <laughs> she just loves to gossip.
2: <laughs> anyway, so we got Barry to look forward to.
0: I guess. It's good. We like it. I know, but I have some beef with Anna Kendrick.
2: Oh, is she in it now?
0: No. But she's, um, what's his name? I'm blanking. Who's Barry? Oh, B- Bill Hader. She's Bill Hader's girlfriend. Oh. Uh... Ah, maybe she's lovely, but I've got some questions. <laughs> like, Anna Kendrick can't believe that she's so pretty and so funny. No, she's never said this explicitly, but it's a vibe I get from her. Mm. Isn't it weird that my voice is so amazing and I got good kind timing? I know, I can't believe it either. That's what I get off of her. One last rodeo? One last rodeo. Oh, God, Peter Friedman's fucking acting go on
2: one less rodeo
0: go on this first one is from alex alex from now on will be calling you a grilled cheese with a sucked dick which the more i think about it oh, i love that so much i don't have a dick but i just imagine if i did and someone was like eat a great sandwich and then have someone <laughs> suck your dick Oh, fabulous. A grilled cheese with a sucked dick says, Hi, FCNNC. I have to gush about what I think is going on with Roman's Caribbean wardrobe because I can't stop thinking about it. I'm sure by now you've seen, I hadn't seen, that the Succession Fashion Instagram has revealed that his T-shirt is a boy's T-shirt available at Walmart. Uh Aha. Did you know that before this moment? No,
2: actually, as I said, I've not been looking at that much. And that Succession fashion thing hasn't come up in my feed so far. I saw something about what Mattson was wearing.
0: Oh, yeah, that was – I mean, Matt, we we don't – it's the finale. It was an hour and a half. There was so much to digest. We haven't had time to do Mattson's wardrobe, but it was beyond the beyond. Shall I go on? Yes. It's a boys' t-shirt available at Walmart. Oh. This leaves me with two possible conclusions, both starting with Roman getting on a flight to his mom straight after the riot showdown. No bags, no belongings, nothing, and either. The T-shirt was bought when he turned up empty-handed, or, what I think is more likely, the T-shirt is from when the boys would visit the house as teenagers. If this is the case, it would make sense that maybe the hippy-dippy bracelets were also a relic from Roy family holidays gone by. I think this emphasizes the feeling that Roman is a bit of a lost kid looking for love and support from his family, and it breaks my heart just a little. It's also worth noting, as I'm sure people already have by now, sorry for broken record, again, no one else said this, that Roman did wear bracelets in the scene of him working out in season one, so it's not completely out of character. I stand corrected, but I knew that would happen. All the best to you both. Alex, a.k.a. a grilled cheese with a sucked dick.
2: All right, I buy this idea about the bracelets being relics from holidays gone by. The Roy's buying their kids clothes from a Walmart doesn't ring true to me.
0: So then what do you think?
2: I, I, think it's the, I think it's the first thing. En route to the airport or the airfield or wherever, however he flew. Do you think he flew commercial? No. Do you remember how abhorrent that seemed to Connor? The <laughs> do a flying first class? Oh,
0: something about the cheese. Do you remember that oh, yeah, line? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um,
2: so I think en route to the airport into a Walmart. Yeah. Although still my mind is blown thinking of Roman Roy in that environment
0: but just picture him when he, was at, um, when he was at the theme park with Brian. Okay, yeah, it's
2: yeah. Just,
0: that's him, that's yeah. him. All right. All right, a grilled cheese with a sucked dick. It made me think about the little boy. Made me think about Karen Culkin's tiny little body. Thank you for making me think about it. Next!
2: Okay, this comes from Ella V's.
0: A.K.A. Peter's Special Cheese.
2: Who says, Dear FC and NC, I'm a feminist, but... A little nod to the podcasting phenomenon. That is the guilty feminist. Yep. Tom is 300% hotter. Now he's CEO. I always found him too drool for school until the finale. And now, let's just say Shiv was totally right to sacrifice her filial relationships for another go on the Tom train. Best Peter's special cheese.
0: So what did you, in all your readings that you're doing, Mm. what is the general consensus about whether or not Shiv wanted to give it to Tom or wanted to take it from Ken?
2: So I've read a few things suggesting that after her initial rage at Tom at Logan's apartment, which then sends her off into battle, when she's had time to sit with it, she figures out that she'll be closer to power with Tom than she would with Kendall.
0: And maybe she gets to fuck Madsen. Um you were talking to me a little bit about this idea that was making the rounds on the on the net <laughs> about you know e- e- when we look at, at Shiv in the final moment e- are we seeing Lady Caroline
2: Yeah I found one of the things that I read it was from Collider and it reads Shiv was always going to end up becoming just like her mother absent and resentful of her children and married to a ruthless uncaring powerful CEO for Shiv this ending was inevitable, no matter which moves she made all along.
0: But I don't quite think that's right. No. For Shiv to wind up like her mother, she would have had to have divorced Tom and got together with Matson. That's her putting herself in a Lady Caroline position. But Tom is just someone else's dick-sucking machine, you know? Yes. So where things go for them, who knows? But I don't think that she... I don't think that comparison is quite right to me.
2: Do you relate to this idea that Tom is hotter now that he's CEO?
0: No, what I'm hot for is the way he entered. Like, again, it's just all these like sort of battle cry scenes. Like when he comes around that corner, like I love thinking about how that scene yeah. was made to feel that way. And like, it's not an interesting thing to lust after Alexander Skarsgård, but that scene where he comes in so out of control. I want to see fall. Fo- I, I can watch that like someone else watches a porn. Like, I'm not masturbating to it, but I can't stop thinking about it and then wanting to, like, go down to the television and just rewind and watch that scene.
2: I don't understand, and I know it's big with you and big with a lot of people, how somebody's job can make them sexy.
0: But so, like, if someone is good at their job, Mm -hmm. if you see someone be good, that wouldn't make them more attractive to you?
2: It might make them more attractive, but there's no sexual stirring.
0: Like, in terms of a, a vaginal twinge, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit.
2: But I'm wrong to be thinking about this in terms of a penile twitch.
0: So it's, it's like you feel something, but it doesn't mean that you're like penis is like developing a semi. Mm. Thank you, Peter Special Cheese. You are a feminist and Tom is hotter now. Nice use of the word filial. Next, we hear from Jamie Johansson. Jamie, your nickname moving forward is, cunt is as cunt does. I want to share that I worked as a background. I think that's the the short version of background artist. Oh, I worked as a background on the final episode of Succession in the big conference room scene. It's rather poetic for me personally, since I also worked on the pilot. Full circle. Wow. I've been walking around knowing how the show ended for months and didn't, wouldn't tell a soul. This did not detract from my enjoyment watching season four because it still was an adventure to see how they arrived at that ending. I'm sorry, though, that they edited out the moment when Lucas Matson came around the conference room table and gave cousin Greg A kiss full on the lips. Wow. As he called him Judas.
2: Wow, a Judas kiss. Like Becky Siddiqui and Big Brother for aficionados.
0: He did that in two of the many takes. That was a sight to behold. I bet. Oh, full on the lips. No tongue, I bet. What an experience for a person. (laughs) To be kissed full on the lips by Lucas. Mm-hmm what I'm always curious about with like men who are that gorgeous it's like I wish we could line up like the 40 best looking men like in Hollywood or something like that and then somehow we all get access to the least attractive woman that any of them have had sex with why are they lined up um, uniformity, like so. so I'd like to see. Yeah. No, I don't actually. The men don't have so it's to be not lined a lot, up. It's not a long room. No, I'm so sorry. It doesn't have to be a long room. The men don't have to be lined up. But yeah. then I want to see, like, I assume that like Brad Pitt has fucked an uncountable number of women, right?
2: Because he can.
0: Yes, because he can. So line up all those women.
2: Why are they lined up again? These women.
0: Comparison. I need to be able to look at all their faces side by side. Is it? Only all women who could also be models and like professional actresses, or would be always sort of surprised by the fact that there are some normals in there.
2: So, so what I'm struggling with, what I'm struggling <laughs> with a little bit is so it's, it's the forty best looking men, and then it's all the women that they've slept with. Mm-hmm. Just for ease of arithmetic, let's say a hundred each. So we've got four thousand women here, which is about the size of say. A bit, a bit more than the Hammersmith Apollo.
0: Do you want me to simplify this? Yes. I would like to sort of understand if it could ever be possible for me to have sex with a Hollywood actor at that level. Oh, Sarah. I just want to know. I assume I could probably be allowed to give one of them a blowjob. Allowed. Allowed.
2: Oh, God. <laughs> but like, self-esteem.
0: But I don't... I sort of don't mean it in that way. Like, what I'm trying... I'm, like, do men at that level fuck average women? I understand at forty-four, I'm out of you know, I'm out of the running. But you know, it. What about when I was thirty? Could I have fucked one of those guys? Or was that like never going to happen for me?
2: Did you read the end of the list? No,
0: the- sorry. Cunt is as cunt does continues, and yes, Alexander Skarsgard is knee weakeningly handsome. His comments on your podcast about being a disappointment when you see him in person are bullshit. In the meantime, fuck off. Jamie Hansen slash cunt is as cunt does. Ugh, I knew he was handsome in person, he, but he was just like being modest. By the way, I listened to his Kara Swisher interview as well, and it was really interesting. He said some good stuff about succession. I'll admit it.
2: Did Kara Swisher call him a cunt?
0: No, we can't all have my vim and verve. (laughs) All right, cunt is. Thanks for writing. Love you. Next up.
2: This comes from Jenny Ackland.
0: A.K.A. Wartime Pickles.
2: Hi, FNN. Just a quick one. Read the video of Logan et al. in his dining room. Instagram and TikTok only take vertical footage. So that's what Willa is used to doing. I think that tells us it's Willa doing the filming. Frank would do horizontal. Any of the greys would do horizontal. Mm -hmm. I'm a grey. This is why I prefer horizontal.
0: Yes!
2: Carolina would do vertical, but she wouldn't be at the dinner party. Oh. Thanks for everything. Wartime pickles. Um, A few people suggested that there's something sad about the fact that the faces you see around the dining table are Carl, Frank, Jerry. In other words, Logan's employees. And... I think there's a bit of truth to that in, in that he doesn't have friends. He has close associates. Mm-hmm. But they are people with a lot of shared history together. And it is a genuinely warm moment, I think.
0: Yeah, and I and they do know him. And he was never going to have real friends. It's, he doesn't have a friend from high school, you know. I think we're right on this. I think it isn't. There is a sadness to it because it's fucking succession, motherfuckers. But ultimately, it is beautiful. Jenny... I can't tell you how much I love... Oh, I'm so sorry. Wartime Pickles. Brilliant, brilliant point. Willa is always on TikTok. Is she good at it? I don't know. Could go either way. Next up, this is from Jack Poirier. We're going to call you Xeroxed Branzino. Hey, Crotch and Core. I'm a little stoner. Ew. (laughs) You little dirty pig. It's a gateway. What are, you thinking of, what are you thinking of yourself, sweetie?
2: How long before his heroin addiction no. kicks in?
0: Xerox, friends, you know, we know you're not going to do heroin, but all I'm saying is you should be comfortable in a neutral mental state, okay? If I was your mommy, all I'm saying is I love you. We just met, but I know you like the pod, so I love you. And my 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 goal for you, my mental goal for you is I want you comfortable in a neutral. Thank you so much. Okay. Little stoner from Canada who foolishly decided to have a pack of cannabis gummies at the start of the finale in the hopes it would make me sleep better. Sirax Bronzino, listen, if you're, you say you're a little stoner, I'm picturing you as a baby boy. I don't know how old you are, but in my mind, you're like 25. If you're having some sleep stuff, you shouldn't be using the pot. Are you talking to a therapist? I'm having some sleep stuff as well. I've had to take some sleep pills at different points when my anxiety has been bad. I don't judge you, but I want you to be able to fall asleep in a neutral state. Try transcendental meditation. Eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. Also, I don't know your life story. And if what you need is marijuana, then I do support you in that choice.
2: But don't go straight for the reefer.
0: No, try a little meditation. I don't know. Do what works for you. Then he says, bad, bad idea. My edibles kicked in with full when the finale was ramping up and I had the most visceral reaction to Kendall's abusive hug to Roman and the abuse in the boardroom scene. I was clutching my chest in horror, feeling way too many feelings, both physically and emotionally. I still haven't rewatched the episode, so I am just going from this memory, but I felt like Roman leaned into the hug, right? Oh.
2: Because he's a masochist. Yeah.
0: Or did he... St- I mean, I, I don't quite feel that he did, but mi- I think it's supposed to, we're supposed to question it. Did he start it? No, you were too stoned because you had too many gummies. This is my whole point sometimes with marijuana is that there's a lack of restraint. Stop, but also do what you need to do. And I want you to get some good sleep at night. But no, he didn't start it. Ken started it. It was definitely abuse from Kendall. Agreed. But it also seemed like Roman wanted or needed it. I I think that that's right. I think it subdued him. That he was an active part- participant in what was going on. That he was engaging in assisted self-harm. What do you think? I completely agree, but I want you off the pot. But also, I love you, and I don't want you to feel judged, and I want you to feel safe to go on whatever journey you need to. But just pay attention to how you feel in that neutral state, because I think it's important. And by the way, I would say that to somebody who's like got their thing where they can never not be without a podcast in their ears. Neutral state. We all want to be able to exist in a neutral state. Do you think that I could go in that diary of a CEO and share my feelings? (laughs) Thanks for the pot, especially this past week. Jack, a.k.a. Xeroxed Bronzino. I love you, sweetie. This is from Catherine Siboni. A.k.a. Face Eggs. Everyone wanted Face Eggs, by the way, and Catherine got it.
2: Congratulations, Catherine.
0: Congratulations, Face Eggs.
2: Colin guarding Kendall in the end means Kendall's murder and his guilt will never leave him. Oh. Colin knows the intricate details of what happens. Kendall can't lie to him that it was a false memory. Jeremy Strong pointed out in an interview that Ken decided to betray Logan when Logan called the cater waiter NRPI, no real person involved. So Ken's lie mirrors Logan's mentality, and he too is punished by his family for it.
0: By the way, she heard that on the Succession podcast, which she wouldn't admit to me. I can handle it face eggs. I listen to it too. Coupled with the
2: titling of finales after Berryman's poem, in which someone is racked by guilt by a murder they may or may not have committed, and the reveal of what happened to Rose, I feel this cardinal sin is what Succession has always mm. been about, mm. along with the generational trauma and abuse that made Logan hold Kendall's murder over him as though to release himself from similar guilt.
0: Oh, I love that you just I connected those threads like that. I thought that. it was beautiful. That is fantastic. Beautiful work, Face Eggs. Yeah. We've talked about this idea that really what this show about is inherited trauma, plus like some money. Um, but I thought that idea of Ken feeling responsible for a death, and Logan always did as well, was a really nice point to make that I have not heard made elsewhere. Thank you, Face Eggies. Oh, I don't know if we've told people this, but... One of the things that came up at the BFI event is that one of the first questions to warm the writers' room up is about what people have eaten.
2: Yeah, so they turn up in the morning, and Jesse asks them all about what they had for the tea last like night, what, what they, they did, did the night before. Yeah, this yeah, kind yeah. of stuff
0: is a way of like just sort of loosening everyone up, and you you get the impression that Tony Roche is like not a big talker in this regard, and that like I don't understand it. But basically, a joke in the writer's room is potatoes. It has something to do with Tony Roach just saying the word potato when he doesn't want to talk about shit. But do you also remember them talking about eggs? Yes. I feel like eggs came up in that context as well. So it's like, then I just remember them all saying like, oh, so you watch out for it. There's a lot of potatoes and a lot of eggs in the script. Greg the egg. Greg the egg. Exactly. So it seems like there's a pretty distinct through line from them talking about what they did the night before and some of the potato and egg references inside track motherfucker (laughs) all right final ever sprinkles it's from a regular contributor Matt Flynn aka close proximity bang finally close proximity bang writes one emerges above the others ambitious cunning deceitful a killer congratulations Sarah Barron Week after week, you encouraged us to believe that you valued our follows, our emails, our love. But now we know that you were simply climbing on our backs in pursuit of a greater goal. So take your power walks with Natalie Gold, your DMs with Jay Smith Cameron, your comedy club dates with Lucy Preble, your personal scars guard wank bank, and fuck off forever, close proximity,
1: <laughs> bang.
0: <laughs>
2: Close proximity bang sees you.
0: Yeah. What do you think? I want to hang out with the peasants for real? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. What did I fucking tell you? I told you that if I put my eye on a prize, I will get it. It is my little killer. It is my sociopath. I get what I go for. (laughs) We can go on and on about how I'm a shitty friend. (laughs) If I decide I want someone, I am going to fucking get them. And you saw it in my bookings and you will never see it, but I will know it in my personal life. Oh, what did you think? I was above a star. Fuck you morons. Of course I'm not. <laughs> what do you think I married Jeff for? His fucking looks? No. Celebrity <laughs> connections, motherfucker. Go fuck yourself. I'm a star fucker and I won't apologize for it. And I will go and get and take what's mine.
2: (laughs) That was terrifying. It was also slightly thrilling.
0: Oh, Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. But what you, you know what, fucking close proximity bang? you think you'd be fucking different. You do the exact fucking same, but you can't even get to, you can't even do what I'm doing because you probably don't have my charisma and interpersonal skills. I don't know. You might. I have no idea who you are. Don't write me and hurt me with that. I was joking. Okay. So don't write me hate mail. I'm very thin skinned and very needy and very easily hurt. And like Tom, I'm exhausted and I keep talking about it. So I am not in a good position. And I really with. With with vim and verve and energy, I have to get back to my quote-unquote day job. And I, I need to feel confident. So don't write me back and tell me that I'm a cunt, okay? I was joking with you. I think you're great. I like your emails. That's why well. I read them out. So don't be mean to me. But I am sparkly. All
2: right. We're, we're going to pop back and say goodbye.
0: Of course.
2: At the, at the end. Um, before that, what's uh, What's the opposite of an amuse-bouche? Is it a petit four?
0: Oh, no, it's a palate cleanser.
2: No palate cleanser goes between courses. No, okay,
0: sorry. So like after your last savory, yeah. but before your dessert, you'll have like um, a light sorbet.
2: But this is a, this is after the dessert.
0: Oh, sorry. Are we? Have you finished the dessert?
2: If you take this whole series of this podcast <laughs> as as a meal, it's a tasting menu. Uh-huh. It's one of those ones where they keep bringing more and more courses. Uh huh. And I think because the Jesse interview was in two parts, maybe it was both the main and the dessert. Oh. And here we are. This is the bit really where you're waiting for the bill. The servers are very attentive up until the point when you want the bill. Okay. And then it's very difficult to get any eye contact. But, oh, but here we totally. are. Here we are at the table. But we have the thing that, um, after you've, what did they bring when you, you've had your coffee? Like I, know, it, I know. It's, what it's like it the opposite be. of the amuse-bouche.
0: I don't know what that is, but I know what this should be. What? The hot towel that you wash use to wash your hands.
2: Where, where are you eating? <laughs>
0: I've been to a few places that give me a hot towel and then my mom will always make a joke and like start washing her underarms with it.
2: Oh, in a little packet. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a little extra... I think it's the Petit Fours.
0: Fine. I the- think
2: it's that little box of chocolates. Do I eat them? Do I have them with a the coffee? Do I take them home? Yes. Got a little thing for you here. We had a conversation the other day with Monica Jacobs, who is the prop master on Succession. And it's just really interesting.
0: Lucy Prebble made a point of name-checking the prop master... So we were like, oh, whatever Lucy says, we're into. So who's this Monica Jacobs? So then we got like, quite fixated on thinking about the props. And we were like, maybe we can talk about some of the objects. And we thought, we know you. We see you. We get you. You're going to want to hear this woman. So we got you a little sprinkle that is the prop master. That's a title She's a prop master. She's the prop master of succession, Monica Jacobs.
1: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: so as a props master what's your purview
1: well okay so a prop is anything an actor touches handles eats drinks drives or is driven in and so when i get the script I'm looking at anything an actor is going to touch or handle. Sometimes it's scripted, it's their phone, it's their laptop. Um, Sometimes what is scripted is canapes are passed around, and then my job is to figure out what those canapes are, how they're going to be eaten. Um, If it's a car that someone's being driven in, picking what the right car is that would be driving this one character. The set decorator has dressed the set with things that are going to look appropriate To a person's apartment or something. Um, My job is to then fill in things that can be touched and handled. Uh, Let's say the scene where Roman is preparing his speech for the funeral. We knew that he was going to be wanting to have coffee, preparing in the day, knowing the actor, knowing the scene, knowing the energy of the scene, and saying, you know what, we're just going to get a bunch of different French presses. Um, my prop buyer, Emma, will go out to the store and she's trying things out in the store to make sure that they're going to be actor-friendly. You know, it's like she's plunging the French press in the store to say, does it stick? Is it weird? Uh, uh, uh." Are we going to break this after one take? You know, so she's testing all that out before she brings it back. And then we're seeing what's going to look good on camera. So it's a whole process like that. Can I ask, how would you go about
2: deciding if a character uses an electric toothbrush or a regular toothbrush?
1: Sometimes it actually depends on the actor. I go to them and say like, hey, I think you would use an electric toothbrush. Are you cool with that? And sometimes I get the response, no, I want to be able to be moving my hand and jiggling my hand the whole time. And that's the nervous energy I need. And then the other sort of boring part of it, though, but a thing that I have to think about is the sound. If the electric toothbrush noise is going to become a distracting part of the scene, I need to know if that's a choice that we're going to make.
2: What a way your brain has to think about the different eventualities that you have to consider is is amazing to me. Which actor is the most interested in props?
1: Hmm. I think Jeremy is one who is so thoughtful and plans so well. So I'll get messages from him saying, you know, this is what I'm thinking. I'm going to want this, this, this. And so I have a bit of time to to get it. Some actors are not thinking about props immediately, but then after rehearsing a scene, realize, oh, you know what I need? I want to have note cards to be writing listing out on or something like that. Or I want to be spinning a pen in my hand. Can we get a really, really nice pen? Um, so... What I like is that some actors reach out ahead of time, like Jeremy, and then I have time to think about it. Someone like Kieran is much more like kinetic in in his process, and so sometimes it is like in that moment on set, actually, this is what I want, I want a thing, and we have to scramble to get it and it, while that's scary, it's also quite thrilling
0: was working on this show, is this your first experience dealing? in the world of watches? And does it feel anxiety producing to be handling merchandise at that price point?
1: Yeah, it's definitely very nerve wracking. There's a whole system of safes and checking and double checking and hiding that we have with these watches. Yeah, it's incredibly nerve wracking beyond just not losing a you know <laughs> priceless piece and traveling internationally with them was the worst.
0: <laughs> oh my god.
1: Going oh. through the through airports and planes and customs security <laughs> explaining why I had these things. Actually, I was always nervous that I'd have to explain a lot. And eventually yeah, it, it got a lot easier.
0: Serving, you would have been sort of serving a criminal energy. Yeah, well, you're I constantly get because... pulled aside
1: by customs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's very but then it's always like, "Oh no, it's a show." And the more and more popular Succession got, um, the easier, I think, it got to explain what I was doing. But yeah, it's very nerve-wracking. But I got to learn a lot about watches, though, and now I have a lot of opinions about them.
2: <laughs> if I wanted to seem like a serious person to Logan Roy, what type of a watch would I wear?
1: Let's see. I Logan, well, I actually really like that one choice that we made was for Shiv and Tom, originally, to be wearing Cartier. Like, they both wore Cartier watches for much of the, many of the seasons. It's almost straightforward, classy, classic. There's something very, like, mm. simple in the style, and yet it says everything. So I think that's something that Logan would appreciate, It's something that he knows how much it costs, but there's a timeless elegance, timeless is silly, word to use for this but um, uh <laughs> elegance to to the shapes that cartier watches tend to have they don't change too much
2: another one a bit like that is how how do you choose who is an android phone person and who is uh, um, uh, an apple phone person an iphone person
1: yeah um it used to be how i was feeling was that if it was a waystar phone mm. like a business work phone that android was a was an easy choice for me sort of like a corporate issued device whereas if people were using their personal devices iPhone is the easy you know user-friendly option as the seasons progressed though we got more and more into showing more Apple products and part of it was just because more just the actors are more comfortable with Apple and most of our phone calls are done live and practically which is not normal in tv and a lot of the texting is done for real
2: that's so interesting and another thing i noticed and i wonder if, i wondered at the time if this was me being crazy but i felt like and it did change i think in this season if you saw somebody extremely wealthy uh, like a, a, a member of the roy family they wouldn't have cases on their phones mm-hmm. but any anybody kind of lower down would
1: yeah yeah we we loved not having cases on the phones, they're sleeker, um, slide into your jacket, breast pocket a little nicer without the cases. These phones, as much as the characters are on them all the time, they're replaceable. So there's no sense of like trying to keep something perfect and precious. If it gets busted or cracked, like they're sending it out and getting a new one, or they're getting it fixed immediately. They have a whole team of people to support that lifestyle.
2: Tell us about Lucas Matson. We saw him eating these Swedish sweets called bilar. Uh, yeah. He was drinking a, a a Christmassy drink, a fizzy drink like soda called Yulmust. We asked Alexander Skarsgård if this came from him, and uh, he said probably, but then said actually probably <laughs> not. Rude. Um, was that something that you researched?
1: Yeah, we actually found a store uh in new york that sold european sweets and goodies and we got all the swedish things that we could find and then we presented them to him and we said does any of this work for you he picked a couple he got excited about it and we're like great this is it these are the things so we didn't even know if it was going to get picked up it was like on camera i mean it was more to please him (laughs) But I'm glad I I'm glad got caught.
2: <laughs> and then did you guys eat the rest of the stuff that you bought?
1: Yeah, yeah. We, we, had, we always
0: eat a little bit of everything that we've got. What did you wind up taste testing from Caroline's
1: refrigerator in the Caribbean air clear? Everything. Um, oh. The cheese. Okay, we actually got Isle of Molcheddar from a cheese shop on the island who imported it for us. And... We had to get huge wheels of the cheese, cut it down just in the right, right size and shape for every reset. Um, so there's a lot of cheese to be had. The other wonderful thing from that fridge um, was the hot sauce. And in Barbados, you, anywhere you go, they have a bottle of that on the table. I have one now in my fridge. It's so delicious.
2: Would you say the same thing about Brunston pickle?
1: <laughs> I actually do like it. <laughs>
2: It's, it's so interesting. Like her character is not just British, but so specifically British that having grown up in the class system here, uh, there, there are all these tiny signifiers that I can spot. Who helps, who helps you with that?
1: I mean, that is so much of Jesse and the rest of the writers and Mark Mylod as well. Have, is there a particular prop that you have had to source very last minute? Yeah, all the time, though. There was one scene we were on in the jet. I think they're flying back from Norway. And uh, everyone's supposed to be asleep. And we had all these blankets. I had sourced all these high-end, beautiful uh, luxury jet blankets, one for each character. And there's like, you know, probably nine of them all sleeping. But then when they actually, when we actually started filming, they looked wrong. They kind of clashed. It sort of bounced the light in an uncomfortable way. And then on the day we're going out and I have team members going to different stores. We're calling ahead while one person's in the car driving to a store saying, do you have this particular blanket, which I looked up online? Do you have it in this size and is it Navy? And then that, that clerk would be like, well, I have three. And I was like, okay. Three. So then I'm going to call the next door of the same brand somewhere else oh. in the city. Do you have at <laughs> least, you know, this many? And amazingly, we had enough time to spare and it looked great on camera. And then um, I don't think that scene made it in the final cut.
2: What are some things that are difficult to make look normal on TV, even though they look normal in real life? The, the, the camera does something.
1: OK, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, food. And drink glasses it's not always easy to make them look fresh and full and new, so for uh-huh. instance, if there's a mug and we were filling it with coffee, you expect to see a little brown liquid at the very top of the cup. But in the action of the scene, you never actually want a cup- a cup full of coffee because it'll spill everywhere and ruin the costume and distract everyone from what's going on right so We always want to fill it almost like halfway. It's been, someone's been drinking it. There's still weight there. An actor can still put it to their mouth, have a sip, put it down and feel real. But on camera, it never looks full. Wow. Or white wine. We don't use real alcohol. Um, So it's, it's often colored water. And so many times it looks really good, really real to the natural eye. We're holding up to the light. We're holding it next to the real wine bottle that it came from. And we've poured a glass and we put it on camera and it looks clear. It looks completely clear. It looks like water. So then we're having to add more dye um, to this water to actually make it look correct on camera. And then I have actors saying, oh, this looks like pee. Like it looks way too yellow or way, sometimes almost a little too too caramelly looking. And I'm like, I know, and it's going to look weird, but on camera, it looks just right. (laughs) I promise you.
0: (laughs) I wanted to ask you, I feel that at least in this season, one of the most famous props, I think, has been that letter that appears in um, episode four, where there's the, the big debate about whether or not something has been underlined or crossed out.
1: Yeah. So that was something, I mean, when I read it in the script, I knew exactly what it was supposed to look like. And then to be honest with you, normally I would be the one to to do the line or the graphic designer who's um, writing out the text and printing it out. We're all doing versions of crossing out the line. We were doing it in pen. We were doing it in pencil. We were doing it in marker. Um, and I actually got really insecure about all the versions that we were doing because <laughs> they felt so, they felt almost too deliberate. Like none of them actually felt quite right. And I hate doing this, but I had to go up to Jesse and I was like, I think you need to do this. And I gave him a huge stack of the letters printed out and basically gave him like a arts and crafts kit. And I was like, I'm so sorry, Jesse. I know this is my job, but it has to be just right. And I think you need to do it. And is that okay? And he was like, yes, of course. Let me do it. I want to do it. So um, that's all Jesse.
0: That's great. Did did you
2: and yeah. have a new cane there at the board meeting? Did he treated himself to a new cane?
1: No, he brought his same his same cane, and in fact, that is his cane. That is a prop is that it that really? actor it's brought very ornate. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, there was one day shooting where he didn't bring it, and it was a prop scramble, a prop truck special, as we like to call it. Um, he didn't have his cane. <laughs> he had left it upstate, and. Um, We're doing like a walk and talk with him and Greg. And so we actually went into my prop truck, picked another wooden cane that was still tall enough for Jamie Cromwell because he's a tall guy. Um, And we started, we chopped off bits. We added on pieces. We got the scenic artist involved to like paint new lines on it, to age it up, scuff it. It was Luckily, already scuffed enough because it had been on my truck. But yeah, and we just like whittled it down until it looked sort of similar. And <laughs> Jamie kept his hand over the knob, but we still managed to make a large enough knob that was close. Um, and we did the whole scene like that.
2: Before we let you go, uh, we, we did an event with Jesse the other night. And he said there was a bell in Logan's apartment that we, we see Greg play with. And that's the thing that he would have most liked as a keepsake. What happened to it?
1: Wow, the bell is what he wanted. That's interesting. Um, a lot of keepsake things actually got saved and archived. HBO does have an archive of props that they keep for, from the show. It sort of, <laughs> directive was like, if it could be a museum of the show, what would be there? So a lot of things like that got stored to preserve. Um, a lot of things on that set were also rented. So they had to go back, and you might see it again on another show.
2: <laughs> like Mondale.
1: Yeah, like you're going to see Mondale on so many other shows. He's a very handsome boy. <laughs> yes, we've heard, we've
0: heard.
2: <laughs> he's just got the X factor. He's
0: got the. He's got
2: it, he's got it.
1: Yeah. How but, often
2: do cast and crew want this stuff?
1: Always. And that's yeah. always the tricky thing, because we want to say yes all the time. Um, but so much of the things on this show were... So expensive that they had to be accounted for and couldn't just be given away. Something. I hope you're
2: checking their bags on the way out yeah, every day. Probably.
1: I try not to think about it. Honestly, it's like if I yeah. if I'm not missing yeah. it, it's not a problem. The job is hard enough as it is, and to be a police also would it it sucks. If I'm not missing it, it's not my problem.
2: I, I love that. So much stuff that you would never, ever think about. And Mm -hmm. it's come up time and time again in the writing, in the acting, the level at which these highly creative people are able to practice their craft Mm -hmm. in succession.
0: So many little
2: sprinkles. Okay, Sarah, it's that time. We have to go. I've got a car booked in 20.
0: Oh, it hurts my heart. Well, look, the live show will be out on Monday or Tuesday. I think we should put it out on Tuesday, but... You're the boss. We'll talk to you again then. What's a song about saying goodbye?
2: I don't think I think um I don't think a song is the thing. But we do appreciate that that maybe after the sprinkles we'll just thin out a little bit more. Maybe not everybody'll will want to hear their live episode to be honest i never really enjoyed a live episode of i a podcast. hate live
0: episodes of podcasts <laughs> yeah.
2: i hate them but a lot of podcasts do them some podcasts are just live episodes and some of the most popular ones so other people like them
0: i don't understand i hate you know but this is my this is sort of what we were talking about with the bfi thing it's just like other people responding i like to feel like whew,
2: I really like the experience of being in the room, doing a live recording. Yeah, but I'd much rather it was just a thing in the room.
0: Yeah, but we feel like we might as well put it out, and you can ignore it, and that'll be fine. But Lucy was there, and we were there,
2: and and some of you
0: were there, maybe. Now can I sing?
2: What do you want to sing?
0: What are I'm looking up famous songs. Here's what I'm putting in: famous songs about saying goodbye. It prompted it. Oh, okay, I've got the one that feels the most truthful to me. Say to me when you live your life like a candle in the wind.
2: Candle in the wind.
0: Never know when.
2: Can you do it as candle in the wind?
0: Okay, let me just look up the words.
2: Maybe just that bit of a chorus will do. People don't need the full song.
0: Like a candle in the wind.
2: Okay, I would have got a bit longer either side.
0: Oh, shit. <laughs> Seem to me yes. that you lived your life. Like a candle in the wind, never knowing who to chill when the rain sets in. I think that'll do. I think that'll do. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's been a wild ride. Bye. And fuck off.
1: Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing, so we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at ByHeart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus.